Thank you for joining us for a message from the Christian Fellowship Church of Kandu, North Dakota. Please visit our website for more information about our church at kanducfc.com. So today we're looking at uh, John 15, verse 9 to 17. And I really feel like the central theme in what Jesus wants to say to us through this passage today is kind of a continuation of what we learned last week. And, and for me, the big thing, the big takeaway from last week was that remaining with Jesus, which he asks us to do, he commands us to do, is done by responding or being sensitive to him, right? What Jesus is going to say to us today, I think, is, is super practical. I think it's an extension of that message from last week. I don't think the heart of Jesus, of, the, of this message from Jesus is as much a theological lesson, but it's more like he's giving us a motivational and instructional chat. All through this short passage, there's something I noticed that I've never really paid attention to before, even though this passage is pretty familiar to me. All through this passage, there's these short statements that are kind of like, I'm calling them cause and effect statements. Now, a cause and effect statement includes two things. The cause, which is an action that has taken place or is going to take place, and the effect, which is the result or the desired result of that action. So through several cause and effect statements, and we'll point these out as we go along, we're going to see some great examples of how Jesus desires for us to respond to him. So this whole remaining idea that Jesus talks about, it's not an ambiguous or vague thing, but it's actually like, no, here's exactly what I'm asking you to do. And I love how marvelous and practical this is. I believe that these instructions that we're going to see today, that if we choose to follow these, they can shape our lives so that our experience with Jesus will go from okay to awesome. Now, this might sound like a bit of a silly question, but I actually want you to take just a moment here in the quietness of your heart, and I want you to truly answer this. Do you want an awesome experience with Jesus? Just answer in the quietness of your heart. Because sometimes we just go through the motions, right? Come to church, we go to work, when the week's over, we come back to church, and we don't pay a lot of attention to the deep details of what life with Jesus is meant to look like. And maybe just by habit, by routine, it's kind of slipped into something that's okay or average. But here's my question. Do you want your experience with Jesus to be awesome? Because if you do... I think this is the message for you. The practical application that we're going to look at today, I think can really leverage your relationship with Christ to take you to a place where you maybe haven't gone before. I know that it's really made me think this week, so that's my encouragement to you. So as we press into this message today, I just pray that we would have an open heart. So let's, let's pray, and then we'll start in on verse 9. Lord God, in, in your presence we are gathered as your people. And our prayer, Lord Jesus is that your Holy Spirit would touch us. We don't want to just come here and, and do all the regular things that we do and then go home, but Lord Jesus, this message, today, these verses, your heart for us. Father God, I pray that you would take these things and sink them deep into our conscience. Make a change in our lives from the inside out that we might reflect our lives, or our lives would reflect more about who you are than about who we are. I pray that you would take hold and that we would respond to your powerful, loving, healing, 
and transformational touch. Amen. All right, so here we go, starting in at verse 9. Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Now, I think that all of us would agree that the love that exists between God the Father and God the Son, that's Jesus, is the most perfect and fantastic love ever. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah, right? Like, of course. God the Father who is supernatural, eternal, all these things, and His Son who is supernatural and eternal, divine. Of course, them in their perfectness, in their character that is marvelous and off the charts, their love is going to be the best. There's no way that any other version of love or or style of love could top what they have. Some may even say that the love that the Father and the Son share, it's a love that is so great that this world could never come close to anything like that. But, listen to this. Jesus says in this verse, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. In other words, you know that love that the Father and I share? It's with that same love that I have already loved you. I love that. Right? It's not I will love you or I might love you. It's that I have loved you. Remember how at the beginning of John it said in the beginning the word already existed? The word was with God and the word was God? Well, we discovered that Jesus, the word, is here as an expression of the Father. This makes sense that Jesus would love us in the same way that he and the Father love each other. This would perfectly express the love that the Father has for us Two, by Jesus loving us with that exact same love. So this statement about Jesus' love for us today is our first cause or action statement. Jesus chose to give his love to you. He acted with love towards you. And now the desired effect or result of this love is that we would remain. We would continue in that love. We would keep accepting it and experiencing it, right? That's what the second part of verse 9 says. So Jesus is saying to his disciples and to us, now that you've experienced the richness of my love in your life, don't trade it away for anything. Don't abandon it and think that you're going to get anything remotely similar or good by pursuing something else. Stay right here. Stay within this love that I am lavishing on your life. The love of Jesus for us is the most precious thing that any of us possesses. Literally, there is nothing... Nothing of greater value in your entire life. Now that might sound kind of crazy because like we love our kids, the ones who are here today with this warm buzz that we feel in the building, right? We love our spouses. We love our parents. We love our families. We love our friends. And that's all great, but they are not the most precious thing that we possess. It's the love of Christ that he has lavished on us, that he has poured out freely into our lives. That is by far and away the most valuable precious and astoundingly significant thing that any one of us has in our life. So continue to receive and enjoy and live your life based on the love that Jesus has for you. Our lives should be defined by the love of Christ. Respond to his love by allowing yourself to become more and more immersed in it and responsive to it. Paul prays for the Christians in Ephesus When he says in Ephesians 3, 16 to 19, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. 
Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power. That comes from God. See this incredible love that Jesus has for us. Even if we can't fully wrap our minds around it. Because it's, it's so much greater than anything we've ever experienced. It still is amazing and vitally important for us. It's important for us because without experiencing God's love. We can't experience the relationship with him that he longs to have for us. So it goes beyond an intellectual understanding. It goes beyond a religious experience where you just do all the right things that the pastor says to do or that the Bible says to do. But no, like there's a love relationship experience that makes us be able to experience Christ's love for us, even though it still is going to be beyond our fullest comprehension. So Jesus tells us to remain in his love, but how do we do that? And this, this answer, or the answer to this question brings us back to a common theme here in John's gospel that Jesus revisits yet again. In verse 10, he says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love. So Jesus brings us back to the importance of obedience, something that he's talked about with fair regularity here. He teaches us here that our obedience to him allows us to remain rooted, as it said in Ephesians, in his love for us. So this is another cause and effect. The cause or the action is this time it's from us. It's us obeying Jesus's commandments. And the effect or the desired result is that we remain in a place where we experience this love of Christ that is so vitally important for us. So this means that anytime we learn something through the Bible, through a church service, through a time of prayer, maybe the Holy Spirit puts something on our hearts, we should put that thing that we learned into practice, or we should do it right away without hesitation, because through obedience, that's how we remain in God's love. And it's not like we're the only ones who have this stipulation to live by. Jesus himself says that he obeys the Father's commandments, and through that he remains in the Father's love. Isn't that crazy? That Jesus actually had something to obey, and now he's just passing on his experience to us, and he says, hey, I've obeyed, I want you to obey. Because when I obeyed, I experienced the fullness of the relationship with the Father that I always want to have, and that's how you can do this too. So Jesus, though he was fully God, He came to earth and he lived fully as a man. He understands what it means to have a choice to obey or not to obey. That is the human experience after all. But of course, he always obeyed God perfectly. And in doing so, he set a perfect example for us to follow so that our obedience can be modeled after his. In verse 9, it was Jesus acting and the desired result was us responding. Now Jesus says that as we act according to his commandments, he responds to us. Man, that's what a relationship is supposed to be, isn't it? We respond to each other. We care about each other, what we're thinking and feeling. Oh, you want to have meatloaf tonight? Yeah, of course, I love you. Let's do that. 
It's like, yeah, I want to I go to Grand Forks today. And you love me? Yeah, we're in. So we, we respond to each other. But it's the same thing with us and Jesus. Have you ever thought that Jesus actually responds to you? We, we sometimes underestimate the power of relationship and how we're supposed to interact with God. It's supposed to be this alive and everyday thing. So as we spend time in his word, he will respond to us. As we pray, he will respond to us, right? He's looking. In the Old Testament, I can't remember the exact passage, but it says the Lord's looking. He's looking around for those who are going to act within the bounds of righteousness, who are going to be seeking, who are going to be wanting what is good. So he's looking for those kind of people. James, you probably know the reference. Is that Isaiah or Jeremiah or one of the other ayahs? Yeah, it's, it's a prophet for sure. But it's true, God is looking. He's watching for us. So this is what relationship with Jesus is. Both us and Jesus responding positively, faithfully, righteously to the positive, faithful, and righteous actions of the other. Verse 11. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. So the cause or the action here is seen when Jesus says, I have told you these things. So these things refers back to everything, the entire message that we've seen here in John 15 and even beyond that. Jesus' message has been all about us staying connected to him as a branch stays connected to a vine. It's been about us remaining in real relationship with Jesus by responding to the promptings and the leading of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The message has been about fruitfulness that brings glory to the Father, right? Jesus has told us all of this, and here's why he does it. It's so that we will be filled with his joy. Not just filled with joy, but his joy, which is amazing. That's our cause and effect. So Jesus teaches us about this way of life, living in him, because he wants our lives to be filled with his joy. Jesus isn't looking to to cause us to have an experience where it's just about fear and response. Or like intimidation and like, if you don't do what I say, I'm holding hell over your head. That's not it. That's not Jesus' motives. It's love and it's joy. It's like, would you please follow me? Would you follow my commandments? Would you hear my instructions? Apply them to your lives because I want my love for you to be felt in its greatest form. I want my joy that is off the charts, that is greater than anything any person could experience on this earth. I want my joy to fill your life so that you will be motivated to continue to want more. That's a good God, isn't it? And the joy that Jesus gives, it's not like the joy that we can find on our own. I can get joy in watching Lucy and Easton play sports at North Star, for sure. I can get joy in building something with my own two hands. I can get joy out of picking vegetables from the garden that we have in our backyard with my wife. But all of those versions of joy, they're temporary. They last a little while and then they fade away and you're on to the next thing. But the joy of the Lord, it shows up in my life consistently as I willingly hear the message that he speaks to me and I choose to live it out. This God-given joy, it's lasting. It's a well that doesn't run dry. It's there forever. I never get tired of it. 
It speaks to my heart on a much deeper level than anything else I've ever experienced in my life. It brings a satisfaction that is beyond the the earthly experience where we just live for ourselves. Remaining with Jesus, abiding with Jesus, fills the follower of Jesus with his joy. You know, even just looking back over the last week or so, here's a few of the joy highlights from my wife, from my life, from my wife. Well, my wife does fill me with joy, but that's not what I meant to say. Here's a few of the joy highlights from my life just in the last week, maybe 10 days. We got uh, at our house, we got an encouraging card in the mail from someone unexpected who mentioned that they can see God at work here in Kandu. And they don't, they don't go to our church, which is amazing, right? Someone did something incredibly generous for God's glory, and Karen and I got to see it take place, and we were just moved that someone would have a heart to be generous for God in the way that they were. Someone made an affirming comment on social media that helped me to see God at work in my own life. Two people asked me to pray for them in the same day who had never asked for me to pray for them before, and it was in a public place. I just thought, this is awesome, Lord. Clearly, there's something going on here. On Wednesday, this last week, there were 19 students, and then Madison and myself, we met with them. We met outside the school. Uh, We met on that little basketball pad across the street, and we prayed for one another. We prayed for our school. And you know what's funny? Like, there was a student who was there for the first time. We've, We've done this other years, but this was their first year. And they came to me, and they said, Jeff, that was fun. Like, who says that? It's just prayer, right? This is supposed to be serious and boring and... And we have to, our knees have to have calluses and we have to be tired, right? No. Spending time with Jesus is supposed to be fun. And this person got it. I thought that was just marvelous. Uh, I read a passage in the Bible this week that gave me guidance in my own prayer life. I saw several uh, prayers that I have prayed be answered in this last week. Someone from another state, well, get this. Someone from another state said that they have heard about our church and the good reputation that we have in Kandu. I just thought that was insane. God provided a vision for a new opportunity in our community. Four people on Wednesday. Four teenage boys on Wednesday in my basement made a first-time decision for Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And you can see, you can see from my reaction, like, I don't cry at at Lucy's volleyball games. I don't cry for the joy I get of picking a a vegetable out of our garden. This stuff matters, right? Like this, the eternal joy that Christ allows me to experience just because I'm responding to his love is the best thing that I've ever had in my life. Karen and I, we love each other a lot. And, you know, 16 years ago, Plus a couple months, we said I do, and that was a great day. But we both would say that the joy that Christ has given us because we've responded to him throughout our lives far supersedes that day that was all about love. It's amazing that God's joy and his love are way beyond anything that we could possibly have. Sorry. Oh, God is so good. This is why I love coming to church, right? We get to experience these things. I could cry in my office alone, but it's so much better to do this together. (laughs) So in all of these things, I've been blessed because I got to experience this kind of Jesus joy in me. Friends, we all need 
And I say this not once or it'd be cool if we had it, but we need to experience this kind of joy. As we willingly take in and receive the message of Jesus that comes from His Word, the Bible, and then we obey these commandments that we read in the Bible, Jesus' supernatural joy, it grows in us. Verse 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. So there's, there's a little bit of a change that happens here in verse 12. So far in John 15, Jesus has been emphasizing that we are to remain in him. And now his message focuses on love, the love that he has for us, and the love that we are meant to have for one another. Still, there's a cause and effect. There's an action and a desired result that Jesus is teaching us about. The, the result Jesus desires is stated first, that we would love each other. That's what he wants to see happen. This love for each other comes from the action stated last in this verse, Jesus has loved us. Okay? So when we think about Jesus' love for us, what do we point to as the ultimate expression of his love? His his. Death. Yes, exactly. We would all say, oh, the, the, the craziest love that we've ever seen is that Jesus gave his life for a bunch of sinners. Like, there's no greater love than that, right? So that's what we would say is the ultimate expression of his love. So Jesus gave his life for you and me to show us that he loves us. No wonder it says in verse 13, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. So let's read this, these two verses together. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. So Jesus is telling us to love one another in the same way that he loved us. And the way that he loved us is he gave his life. He willingly died. He took on the greatest form of, of hurt and pain and punishment that was present in that world at that time. And he embraced it so that his love could be shown for us. Now... Jesus is not saying that you and I should die on a cross for one another, okay? Our death doesn't have the same effect to save anyone from their sins. Only Jesus' love can do that. But Jesus is absolutely telling us that we should be willing to sacrifice for each other. When we face a choice between doing something that is comfortable for us versus something that will make someone else comfortable, choose what will make the other person comfortable, right? When we need to decide if we are willing to do something that will benefit us or benefit someone else, the, the way that we love is by choosing to benefit the other person and not do something that is in our own interests. Jesus loved people just like this, and we are being told here, commanded to do the same. So many places in Scripture, they support this kind of sacrificial love that we're talking about today. Jesus isn't talking in a silo here. This is, there's so many more things that support this. So here's just a few verses to ponder. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Case in point, right? Romans 15, 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Man, every other message that you hear in this world is all about pleasing yourself. The church has a very singular and contrary message to the way of this world. 
That's, and it's also leading us in a place that is different than the ways of this world, right? So don't live to please yourselves. Hebrews 13, 16, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Once again, if you want to know how to please him, how to remain in him, live a life that is sacrificial. Romans twelve ten. be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. 1 Corinthians 10, 24, no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. I love that one. That's why I saved it for last. If we're living our life and we're saying, okay, what do I want today? What can I do to get up and do what's best for me? How can I live that's going to make me happy? Your life is going to be empty. You know, I hate to break it to you, but that's probably the most shallow and hollow form of human existence that a person could ever experience. Because when you live for yourself, you make yourself God. And Jesus is not part of the equation, right? No one, I I would advise you, don't go down that road. If you can think of something that will make you uncomfortable and it brings up a a better quality of life for someone else or shares Jesus' love with them, that's where your joy is going to be the fullest. I guarantee you, I've never regretted these things once in my life. So if I take this concept and if I put myself on the other side of this commandment and think about all the times that I have felt God's love most deeply, it's often because someone else has sacrificed in order to love me. So the, the, the message that we're seeing here is, is to love like Jesus loved, and that's sacrificially. But when I think about how I received love in the most profound ways, it was because someone else sacrificed for my life. In the last couple of years, we, we haven't been able to be with family over the holidays because, you know, COVID shut the borders down and we haven't been able to get back. But Bruce and Karen have so consistently made room at their table and included us. In, the, in what, you know, we would have been at home otherwise on Christmas and Thanksgiving and Easter and all that kind of stuff. So, like, they sacrificed. They had to make more food because I like eating. And they had us over and they didn't mind. So, like, that kind of sacrifice, that demonstrated, oh, we feel loved. Thank you, guys. While living in Manitoba, we were kind of in a, in a tough financial spot. I've told you this before. And we, we were struggling to make bills, you know, get them all paid. Our savings was dwindling down without asking. But another couple, they said to us, they offered, can we pay your mortgage? Who does that, right? And they didn't pay it for one month or five months or six months. They paid it for 11 months. It was, it was crazy. Like, that's what sustained us while we were waiting to get down here. Like, they made a huge sacrifice, and they had a family of their own, but they did that so that we could be cared for, and we felt tremendously loved by God. Several people from this church supported us financially. We'd see several hundred dollars show up in an envelope in Winnipeg when we were waiting to get down here. It's like, God, who are these people who are waiting for us? This is awesome. We just couldn't wait to be here, and we felt tremendously loved because of the sacrifice of someone else. People have even, our backdoor neighbor, Barry Newman, What a great guy. He shares meat with us all the time. He likes fishing, but he fishes more than he can eat. And he brings us like like fresh walleye fillets. And we just love it. They're so delicious. And I mean, he sacrificed. He could have hoarded those for himself. He could have froze them and saved them. But he said, no, I'm just going to do that for someone else. And we feel like even through Barry, God is is showing his love for us. I, I think it's tremendous. All of these are ways that we have felt God's love, but it was always through someone else sacrificing. I saved one more here. Probably the most profound way that I have felt God's love being shown through someone else's life is when he gives a prophetic word of encouragement to me. 
where God speaks into someone else's life about Jeff Peters. And then that person obediently, even maybe nervously, if they haven't done this much before, they come and say, Jeff, I I think I have an encouraging word from God to share with you. And they come and they share. And it's like, that blows me away. That my God thinks so much of me that he would talk to someone else and instruct them to come and speak into my life. Like that is, that is the essence of sacrifice and love. I love it. In each one of these instances, God has put, someone has put aside their agenda, sacrificed their preferences or desires, and was obedient to what God was asking them to do. Because of that sacrifice, we get to feel what the love of God feels like. Let me ask you a question. This is another silly question, but sometimes I think we have to ask the really obvious things because sometimes we are just scared or we don't give ourselves permission to think these things. So here's the question. Does it feel good to be loved? Okay, good. Someone's brave enough to say yes. I love that. Of course it does, right? Like, think, like if you ever listen to songs on the radio, like what, what are 90% of songs about? Love. Oh, my girl left me, and now I don't feel loved. Oh, if I could have a girl that would love me the way I want. Like, that's what songs are about. It's all about love, right? When you're loved by one of God's people, does it motivate you to make someone else feel as loved as you did? I'm going to ask that again, okay? This is, this is interesting. Yeah, good, okay, someone's tracking. Thank you, Lisa. When you're loved by one of God's people, Does it motivate you to make someone else feel as loved as you did? Absolutely. I mean, we respond to what comes into our lives, right? It works that way for me. God has poured out his love for me through his people. And now I just want everyone else to know how much God loves them. If I didn't experience Christ's love in my life, I would not be an evangelist. But I absolutely am. And that's why I think I have this crazy boldness that most people look at me and say, Jeff, you're weird. But it's like, no, it's not weird at all. It's actually Christ's love that from the fullest experience that I've had, he's been working through me so that, because I've been motivated to share what I've received with someone else. If my sacrifice helps other people to experience Jesus' love for them, I'm all in. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me. To further reaffirm the relationship of love that exists between us and God, Jesus speaks about two ways that he can relate to us. He compares, he compares a slave and a friend in the way that he responds to us. Slaves are expected to obey commands, right? They don't know the reason that they're doing something. They're just told to do it and then they're supposed to obey with no explanation. But Jesus has revealed everything to us that the Father has told them to say. Remember, Jesus is the Word. He is the expression of the Father. So that shows us that we are not slaves. But we're something beyond that. We're His friends. Jesus has chosen us. It's not just a legal agreement like a slave and a master would operate under. But just like you choose who your friends are, Jesus chooses who his friends are. He's chosen everyone. He's just waiting for people to choose him back. You have been chosen by God, and he loves you. You are his friend because he wants you to be. 
And you affirm that you choose to make God your friend when you do what he commands. So this is another cause and effect here. Jesus chooses us, and in response, we choose him back through our obedience. When that happens, that's when we're in friendship with God. If God ever feels far away, or if the relationship feels frustrating, I think it's usually on us. Last time I checked, God is faithful and never leaves us or forsakes us. Scripture says that in many places, but can you and I slip up and lose focus and drift away from this relationship with God? Absolutely. So we need to remember that just as Christ chose us to be his friends, we need to choose daily that we are going to walk in friendship with God. Verse 16, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. So here Jesus is reminding us that he's the instigator. He initiates this relationship with us, and he did it for a purpose. We have a loving friendship with Jesus so that we will go and we will produce something for him, what he calls lasting fruit, anything that brings glory to the Father. So this is such a wonderful example of the cause and effect idea we've seen so consistently in this passage today. Jesus' action, his cause, was to choose us. And he purposefully began relationship with us so that we could produce something in our lives that was impossible without him. That's the effect or the result that Jesus wants to see. Us being empowered through knowing him, experiencing his love for us, so that we will pray confidently asking God for what is true and pure and right and good and lovely. Those are the things that the Father will give to us because we come to him in the name of his Son, whom we love and whom we have real friendship with. You know, when, when God hears our prayers, I think the one, the one thing that really tips him forward in answering those prayers is like, if he hears his own son's voice through what we pray. So if you and I are, are, are praying for things like that God would increase our boldness for the gospel to share that with other people. He's like, oh, yeah, of course I'm going to answer that. My son prays that all the time. You guys must be friends or something. Do you guys know each other? Yeah, yeah, we do. And that's why God's going to say, yeah, I'm going to answer that prayer. I'm going to give you whatever you ask in my son's name, in consistent mark with his character, because those are the things that I care about already. Thank you for agreeing with me yet again through your prayers. Verse 17, last verse here. This is my command. Love each other. So we've seen today what love is to God. It's sacrificial. It's giving up what we want, desire, think is important, what we prefer or are comfortable with for the sake of someone else. That's love. So now in verse 17, when Jesus says, this is my command, we know what he's asking. He's not telling us to just be nice or polite or fun to be around. That's not the love that he's after. That's a really low standard. Those things are fine, but that's not what Jesus is calling us to. What, what Jesus is saying is, just as I sacrifice by giving up my life for you, I am telling you to sacrifice your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ. To me, this command points to the purpose of the church, right? Jesus established his church through his disciples once he had ascended to heaven. The church is meant to be a representative of Jesus. So if we love each other sacrificially, if we give each other preference, uh, that's where we become more attractive 
to the people outside of this place who hear about us. If we're, if we're worried about trying to draw people to Jesus, it's kind of funny. We think about all the things we could do for them, but it actually starts here. If I want to draw someone to Jesus, I'm going to love you guys like crazy in the way that God has commanded me to. And you need to do the same for each other. Because that's when our church is going, to, is going to be a buzz around town. That's when people are going to say, hey, what's going on over there at CFC? I just get this vibe that you guys are onto something and I want to be a part of it. You know, it's a little, I wasn't planning on sharing this story, but this is just too perfect not to share. So this week on Friday, Karen and I were, were on Main Street. We were waiting to meet someone and uh, someone drove by in a, in a red car. I have no idea who this person is. They're holding a little white dog on their lap. So if you know who this person is, let me know. But I'd love to meet them and figure out their name again. But uh, Karen and I were just goofing around and we were looking at a door that went into a building that there was no one in. And this lady drives by and she says, hey, I didn't think pastors are supposed to be doing B&Es, like break and enter, right? <laughs> and I said, well, I didn't even kick at the door. I was just touching it. It's all good. And then she quickly changed the topic and she says, hey, I've heard, uh, I heard a lot of good things about your church. I think I'm going to have to come check it out sometime. Like, and I have no idea who this is, like I say. And I said, yeah, we'd love that. 10 o'clock on Sunday, we'll see you there. She says, absolutely. So maybe she's here today. I have no idea. I don't think so. But man, like, where are they getting that idea from? If I've never talked to them, I mean, obviously someone's talking or they're hearing things or there's something going on that God is doing a wonderful work amongst you. Your love is an expression of Christ and people are taking notice. I just want you to be encouraged, friends, that our community continues to be baffled by what's going on here in a positive way. And I'm all in. Like, let's just keep going in this direction. If loving each other in this way is going to reveal to the world who Christ is, why would we do anything else? So just keep in mind the context of this passage as we can kind of conclude our message for today. Jesus is hours away from his death. He's only about a month away from ascending to heaven. He's preparing his disciples to be the light of the world because he is leaving this commissioning with them. You and I were called to this as well. The love we show for one another is the very light of Jesus that people need to see for themselves. And this is Jesus's cause or purpose for everyone, for your life and for my life. Will we let his cause, his light shine in our lives so that the effect is that we will shine his light and love to others.